You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 150. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. You've reached The Local Maximum once again. Welcome to episode 150. That's a big milestone since we're winding down the year 2020 a little bit and also starting a new decade of episodes, let's say for lack of a better term, like the the 150s, I thought that this would be a good time to update you on the emerging technologies that uh, we follow here on the Local Maximum. Basically, anything that I didn't get to by the end of the year that I wanted to get to by the end of the year, that is going to go on this show. So there's a lot. This is going to be a good show for episode for someone who... um, you know, has a short attention span, well, relatively, because we're going to jump from topic to topic. Maximum.locals.com is where our online community is. So uh, check that out and stay for the end for our plans for the rest of the year and early 2021. Many of these stories could be full episodes on their own, but this is the stuff we've been covering before on the Local Maximum. I'm going to get you all up to date today. We're going to go over the self-driving car industry. We're going to go over protein folding, and this is important. I know, well, we'll get to it. And finally, Bitcoin and crypto, which, look, Bitcoin winter is clearly over and has been for some time. So even though real winter is here, we're entering real winter, uh, we are leaving crypto winter in the the, world. in, in, in the virtual currency realms. So that's great. These are all like decade-long trends that, uh, that uh, are, are good to follow, that we follow areas where we've actually taken step forward, steps uh, forward this year, but these stories probably get lost in, um, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't have to say why stories got lost this year that don't have to do with uh, particular like two or three issues. So first, a little bit of an update from me. I currently have... Uh, my my home base has been New York City for for 14 years, and that is over for now. I've currently made my home base outside of New York City, currently in an unassuming location in Connecticut, but that's probably temporary, so you'll hear more about this in 2021. And what's going on? This could be part of a larger trend, which we actually spoke about all the way back during our expert prediction panel back in 2018. That was episode 38, where technology will make suburbs and and outer suburbs more desirable, no doubt exacerbated this year by the coronavirus pandemic. And that's primarily why New York City is a tough place to live right now, and it's also just me getting older. But let's talk about New York City for a minute. I think that this this topic applies to all your cities out there throughout the country, maybe the world too. The political leadership here in New York City is also a reason why people are fleeing. I, I definitely think that it's possible to adopt or adapt to the new reality and make urban life more desirable than ever. And I think some cities are going to do it, and there's still a huge advantage to seeing people in person. But it's going to take some work. You need to figure out what benefits remain for living close together, and there are a lot. Uh, you got to sell people on those benefits. you got to look for companies and industries that are best positioned to take advantage of those benefits. But um, that's just not what they're doing right now. So I'm going to link to two newspapers from cityjournal.org and the New York Post, which reprinted the article. I know that these are both kind of um, 
right-leaning papers, but City Journal actually has a lot of articles right now about just what I'm talking about. They're, they're very specific policy articles. They're prescriptions for uh, you know keeping uh, cities strong and keeping tech companies in New York City. Uh, but the main takeaway is that it's not going to happen automatically. You have to bring together you know, all the universities that are around. So you have the best research in one area. You have to have the urban amenities that your knowledge workers might want. You have to update zoning. You need innovation zones for, say, kind of next generation connectivity or self-driving cars and things like that that, uh, you know, companies would want to, uh, and, uh, and, and the most innovative people would want to build on top of. So I'll link to that. Um, and, and, on, and, and the danger zone here is the new political philosophy that some in New York City's political elite or their leadership philosophy uh, that they've been espousing, including our public advocate, which is kind of like the mayor in waiting, our current mayor de Blasio was the previous public ad advocate. And it's also a phrase being, um, being uh, you know, used by people in city council and by people in the city government. The phrase that they've been using is comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. They say it's from the New Testament, uh, but and that's something I'm less familiar with, but if you read the book of James that they cite, it actually doesn't say anything like that. It says, it, it definitely, it's open to interpretation, but it definitely does not say that your mission is to go around making everyone feel the pain of uh, your perceived injustice. So it's sort of iffy there. And then they're taking this theological point, like, if you're a rich man, you could be humbled by faith and life, just like everybody else, and turning it into a political program. And there are actually a lot of people who want to do this, and there are a lot of voters who are on board with this, uh, which is also concerning. So the quote is actually from a newspaper in 1890, which was, it was actually satire and not a description of what you're supposed to do. But apparently politicians are taking it as divine gospel, and they're attributing this quote, oh, excuse me, they are attributing this quote uh, to the New Testament. They're, they're attributing it to Martin Luther King uh, without any evidence. It comes from like a satire in a newspaper article. So what's this going to mean in practice? What do they mean by this? I've lived here for 14 years. I've met some of the people in the political elite. I've gone to their speeches. I've seen, I've gone to events, not like events I was, you know, they were kind of open events, but you could meet, you know, it's just, it's local people. So it's not like, you know, it's not like you have to go jump through hoops to meet the president. It's kind of easy. But, you know, you, you can go to events and see them talk casually. And many of these people are practical, and it's possible to stop this. But if the true believers, uh, kind of like the, uh, the, the born-again <laughs> political believers, have their way and comfort the afflicted uh, uh, while afflicting the comfortable, what does that actually mean? Um, well, first, they don't really comfort the afflicted. I haven't seen much of that there have been no policies proposed for better schools or care for the homeless or anything like that. But in terms of afflicting the comfortable, I could guess what that means. I'm basing this off of the specific instances where they're using the phrase. So we could you know, start with another extra tax on the rich. Okay, another 5%, but you know, we'll be pretty lucky if it stops there, although the super rich uh, probably aren't going to stay. Uh, but it also means more crime on the streets, more lockdowns, more boarded up stores, more barricades. Every week, another favorite restaurant, shop, store closes. Um, 
you know, according to them, we definitely need to put public housing for high crime populations in the nicest neighborhoods like the Upper West Side. And if you complain, then you're a horrible person. Remove the police where violent crime is concerned and redirect them toward the minor infractions of ordinary citizens, like breathing or something like that. Um, they want to have less non-political events and more overtly political events. If you must have a non-political event, you must politicize it. Otherwise, your silence is an insult to the cause of justice. Let the subway and public transportation continue to decline and let there be more and more crime down there. So come to think of it, the people they want to afflict are actually not the most comfortable at all. Now, the difference between New York and, say, some city like San Francisco, kind of California, is that New York has a lot more practical-oriented people in it and people involved in government. And I think there's a chance that they get the upper hand next year. But for now, I personally am out. I have had enough affliction in 2020, and I'm pretty sure I'll be perceived as comfortable, And even though I'm not like part of the super rich. And... I don't think you're morally superior for suffering. That's just a bunch of malarkey, as Joe Biden would say. So that's that. I know that's kind of my story. That's uh, Now we're going to get away from the political stuff. Let's get into all of the new technology. First up is the self-driving car industry. So a bunch of moving parts here have happened. We last talked about Waymo in episode 43, which was two years ago. We seem to talk about self-driving cars at the end of the year every year. So in episode 43, that was two years ago, we're talking about Waymo, and they are, uh, they are uh, uh, practicing, not practicing, they are testing out their self-driving cars in the area of Chandler, Arizona. So, you know, Nice, big, flat spaces, nice open space. You can kind of see what's going on. I assume the weather is, well, I mean, look, the weather is going to be clear. It might not necessarily be best weather in the country. It's probably too hot. But it's, uh, it's very clear weather. And, you know, there, it's not like New York City where you have buildings obstructing. You have kind of short buildings kind of spread out so you can see very far. And it's not like wooded. So it's desert. So that's really a great place for them to start. But the the kind of lame part was when they started was, first of all, they had a safety driver in there. So if you called this self-driving car, there'd be somebody in there, and they'd say, welcome to your self-driving car. It'll drive itself. But there's still kind of a a person in there. So that's sort of weird. And it wasn't open to the public. Like, you had to be part of their special beta program. And uh, last year in episode 92, it looked like they were starting to open to the public. And now it looks like they are completely open to the public um, but still, and, and no more safety driver, so that's great. And they are now, oh, sorry, they, they got rid of some of the safety drivers in, in episode 92, uh, last, so last year. So now they are completely rid of the safety drivers, and it's completely open to the public, but just for that one town in Chandler, Arizona, and I'm sure the surrounding area. I don't know exactly what the area is, but it's, uh, it's, it's a town in Arizona. Now, now that it's open to the public, and the people who are in it don't have to keep secrets and they don't have to sign release forms and consent forms and, and uh, NDAs and all that, or NDAs or whatever, non-disclosure agreements and all that. Uh, now they can show us what's going on. So there are some videos out there, and I'm going to link to this video at localmaxradio.com slash 150 on the show notes page. This is a video post- posted by the YouTube account JJ Ricks, who apparently lives in 
Chandler, Arizona, and is taking videos and showing us what it like, what it's like. So he's taking a video in the back of the one that I uh, uh, linked. There's maybe there's 15 minutes of it, so it's pretty long. Uh, he gets into the back seat. There's no one in the front seat, and he's videoing it from the from the middle seat in the back seat. So it's it's already pretty freaky. And uh, my takeaway is that yes, it works, but it's very frustrating. So he got the self-driving car in a parking lot. This is not like a totally rural area. This is something like a, a very suburban area with lots of people in it. He, he went to a shopping center and there were all sorts of people and cars in the parking lot and all that. And the car took forever to get started because it was so non, it just, it was, it was not aggressive enough. And basically it took five minutes just to get going because there were all these people with bags and shopping bags and cars coming back and forth and it just had to wait for that perfect moment. And that's kind of what happened throughout the drive, um, which, you know, on one, one hand it's safe, but on the other hand you might not want to actually get from point A to point B on this. Although maybe if you save some money you would. Um, there was one case where, you know, he kept having to <laughs> open the window and say, ah, it's okay, it's a self-driving car. There was one case where there was a family with young kids on, on bikes and they wanted to cross the street and the car, like they were waiting for the car, but the car wouldn't cross the street because they were there and the car was kind of expecting them to cross the street. So they kind of had a standoff there. Uh, so they sort of had to wait for a really long time for the car to go. Uh, so yeah, all these interesting things are going on, but you know, it does work and it is exciting to see that technology take another step forward. It's gonna, there's gonna be, right now it doesn't have a huge effect on our lives, but there's gonna be some turning point, like a snap, boom, where the lights come on and uh, it starts working in larger and larger areas of the country. And right now, you might think, hey, they've got to get on this in terms of, you know, worse conditions, lower visibility, bad weather. But it looks like still just in Chandler, Arizona, there's a lot that they need to get done in terms of how do you deal with other people? How do you deal with other cars? And, you know, there was one time where he was trying to merge into a lane when the, when the lanes merged and the, the, the bus behind him was honking at him because he wasn't merging in uh, because they were waiting for the perfect time to merge and the other cars weren't letting him in. Now, a human would be able to kind of slip in there at the right time, but the car had to just wait and wait and wait and wait. So that's, uh, that's really interesting. That's a lot of stuff that, that we all have to learn when we start driving. And, um, that, and uh, that seems to be right out. Another cool thing that it, it does though, there, there's kind of like a display on the back seat of the car and it kind of shows everything around you and what it knows about. It knows about all the cars, all the pedestrians, all the animals, all the objects that are around the car and, and the roads and, and what the roads are called and all that. So it does sort of have an onboard awareness thing so it could tell you what it's aware of. So that is a pretty neat feature so you can kind of see into what the algorithm is doing. So second thing in the self-driving car industry is that Uber has sold off its self-driving car division. It sold it to Aurora. Now Uber, we also talked about this in episode 92. Uber has had a bunch of problems. They, they really tried to get into the self-driving car industry because they figure, hey, we're the largest um, rideshare service. If we convert to self-driving cars, we'll be absolutely unstoppable. I think they put in a billion dollars into that, one billion dollars. But their self-driving car division had a lot of problems. First, they were accused of stealing technology from Waymo, which is... Um, Again, that's, by the way, the Waymo's the one we talked about before from Chandler, Arizona. That's the division of Alphabet, so kind of spun out from Google. 
And they also had a fatal accident, which really has kind of hurt their brand a little bit. And so they sold it to Aurora. Aurora is a self-driving car startup that focuses on how auto manufacturers can convert their cars into self-driving cars. They work with Hyundai, for example. So they're partnering up with a lot of people there. So watch those guys at Aurora. Aurora seems to be, since they were the best ones to sell to, and you know, they, um, they are clearly moving ahead with that tech. So, so Aurora is, is one to watch. And finally, we have an announcement from Tesla. They claim that they're going to offer a self-driving subscription, whatever that means, in 2021 for their cars. That means you'll subscribe to the self-driving car software. Now, given where the technology is, it's doubtful that the tech will be that impressive kind of level four technology. Remember, I've also, we talked before about the, about the levels of self-drivingness, levels of autonomy. And level four was really the one where you kind of, you don't have to, pay attention to the wheel and stuff. Um, you know, so level four is really where you want to get to. And so it's kind of, given where the technology is elsewhere, it's doubtful that they'll, they're that far ahead, that you're actually going to have Tesla self-driving cars in 2021. In fact, they already told us that they'd have it in 2020. So we'll see. I'm sure they have uh, good technology there, but uh, that's, uh, that's another uh, announcement. So lots, and we, we, I don't think we spoke about self-driving cars this year that much. But uh, a lot of pieces are moving, so that's interesting. I don't know if you guys can hear the uh, ambulance outside, but um, as soon as I'm out of New York City uh, permanently, I'm actually in here today, uh, 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 this week, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll have a lot less of that. So, okay, uh, next up, let's talk about deep mind and protein folding. This is the most important thing going on in this episode, frankly. And it's not something that you hear about very much, but this will impact our lives in the long run. So DeepMind, once again, another Alphabet, uh, another Alphabet company. So it's, it's Alphabet's AI research lab. That's opposed to Google's AI lab, Google Brain, which is the one we talked about last week in the, when we talked about the Timnit uh, Jibru incident. So DeepMind has a protein folding uh, organization, uh, um, uh, Program, uh, uh, software called AlphaFold, and now they have their new one called AlphaFold 2. And uh, their program, AlphaFold, actually was per participated in a contest called the Critical Assessment of Structure Prediction, CASP for, for, for short. They outperformed around 100 other teams in a biennial protein structure prediction challenge. And the results were announced on November 30, 30th at the start of the conference, which was held virtually this year. And so it wasn't just, you know, better. It was way better. Like, they made huge strides in this, pro in this problem. So first of all, like, why is it hard and, and why should we care? Well, first of all, why is it hard? There are a lot of interactions at play here. Like, you know, you could have, uh, so a protein is caused by, so, uh, uh, you know, you basically have a, a string of amino acids all strung together, and all of those are very complex molecules. And then there's all these forces associated with them, and every force kind of um, interacts with every other force. And I think, uh, you know, computing that outright is kind of intractable. So you really need to use something like machine learning to figure out how it's all going to go in the end. And it turns out it's a very difficult problem because it basically uses all of the laws of physics, and it's... Um, it's not just like a you know two body problem or three body problem. It's like a, 
it's like a thousand body problem. So, and, and lots of different you know, forces come into play. So very difficult to pre predict the shape that protein will come, uh, will, will end up taking. But the shape is everything. The shape determines what that protein actually does. And this will help in kind of discovering new drugs and medicines much more quickly. It's a huge breakthrough in medical research. You could almost design a protein now, or at least search more easily, like protein that folds in a certain way and has a certain function, and it can predict what will happen at the molecular level. So this is part of the speeding up of medical technology, which is going to be great in the long term for fighting new diseases and ailments. Um, I was always in looking into this. I was, it's always interesting. You know you have all this genetic code in your body, and uh, you, know, you know there's DNA, and DNA has these nucleotides, A, C, T, G, these four nucleotides, and you know, with those four, it kind of creates a code. But you ever wonder, like, okay, how, you know, how is that code actually read? Like, <laughs> so my body has a code in it. Is there a computer reading it? Well, so the way I understand it, um, correct me if I'm wrong, biologist, is that when these molecules are open, like your DNA, RNA, or whatever, uh, these uh, sequences of nucleotides actually um, attract the amino acids in certain orders, and then they attach... Uh, together, and then they come off and fold into a certain protein. So it actually creates the proteins in your body, and that ends up determining what's going on. That's probably a little too simple, or I don't know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, anyway, this is, uh, this is big stuff. This is, this is really determining, uh, you know, getting to the bottom of how the human body works. So um, just to give you a sense of, of the, the weight of, of, of this of this, uh, of this breakthrough, uh, here's a quote, Mohammed Al-Qarishi, a computational biologist at Columbia University in New York City and a CAS participant, is e eager to dig into the details of AlphaFold's performance at the contest and learn more about how the system works when the DeepMind team presents its approach on the 1st of December, which you know they've already did. It's possible but unlikely, he says, that an easier than usual crop of protein targets contributed to the performance Al-Qarishi's uh, strong hunch is that AlphaFold will be transformational. If true, I think it's fair to say that this, is, this will be very disruptive to the protein structure prediction field. I suspect many will leave the field as a core problem uh, because the core problem has arguably been solved. And he also says it's a breakthrough of the first order, certainly one of the most significant scientific results of my lifetime. Now, how did they do it? I'm not exact, uh, you know, I, we could probably dive into how they did it, you know, with a whole episode, but it is a deep learning architecture. So, you know, it, it's kind of a black box, lots of different, um, lots of different moving parts, kind of a neural net, lots of data. So it didn't just outperform, but it's very accurate. And they were talking about it as it's some kind of breakthrough. Continuing, in the field of AI research, this is, that last one is like big. That's where the real work is going to be done. This is just this next one is just BS. But uh, in continuing from all of the uh, all of the chatter and um, controversy on Twitter from last week's episode 149 about Tim the Jibru, um, Pedro Domingo, who's a machine learning researcher and author of The Master Algorithm, and I read his book, The Master Algorithm. He's a lot of great things to say about machine learning. The only criticism of, it, of him is I reached out to him twice about coming on the local maximum. He hasn't gotten back to me, but maybe I'll try again. Pedro, if you're out there, you've got to correct this, uh, this injustice and come on the local maximum. 
So he tweeted out against the ideological bias that goes on in the ethics reviews of AI research. And then another AI researcher, Anand Kumar, uh, she responded by making a list of people who liked his tweets and retweeted his tweets and were defending him uh, because it was seen as, you know, being against, you know, ethics or, or, or whatever. You know, you, you can't question them. So first, it was, so it was a list of people at first that she, she kind of positioned it as, these are the people that we need to educate that they're wrong, but then kind of admitted that it was ultimately a cancel list. If you can't be educated, you have to go. We'll give you one chance to uh, admit your error. And um, she actually had to back off of, from that because it included students uh, and you know, uh, you know, grad students who just like Domingo's tweets. And that was kind of too far to kind of you know, ruin these people's careers who were who just liked the tweets and were at, at such a, a lower level. So um, anyway, all this stuff is blowing up and it's gonna continue to blow up. Again, it's a lot of noise. I prefer to focus on the people looking at the, um, at the, at the protein folding, uh, but we'll see. So the final story of today is, man, we haven't even talked about cryptocurrency and, and, and the, the cryptocosm and all that this year. But, man, it's been a good year for Bitcoin. Uh, the price exploded to over 20000 this year. I told people earlier this year that it's going to go over 20000 No, believe me. And then look what happened. It happened on December 16th. It happened exactly three years to the day after uh, the last Bitcoin high occurred. Now there's a lot of institutional interest, and it seems like that uh, $20,000 price level it occurred naturally, whereas last time it was kind of a blow-off top where it went from 10,000 quickly up to 20,000 and back up to 10,000. And then forevermore, 20,000 was kind of seen as the benchmark, even though you know it wasn't really there for very long. Um, so there's been a lot of reaction, first of all, from the government, from the federal government, Secretary of Treasury outgoing. Uh, Steve Mnuchin wants new rules for the cryptocurrency. Basically, he wants to know if you are in a custodial wallet like Coinbase or something else and you withdraw, he wants to know who owns the wallet that you're withdrawing to. Um, and so people are kind of uh, maybe concerned about that. It means you have to like register your personal uh, wallets that, that you own. Of course, <laughs> the, you know, as, as some people have pointed out, it doesn't make much of a difference because you could withdraw to your own personal Bitcoin wallet say that is that is that is registered to you, and then you could just uh, that it's uncensorable. So then you could just send it to wherever you want. So some people have said this actually could speed up the development of self-hosted solutions for Bitcoin, but uh, which is possible backfire of the intense intended effect of the law, which is to keep people in the um, you know in the custodial accounts. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see. It's something I, I believe. I have a video here. I think it's from, um, yes, it's from Naomi Brockwell, who is always great on this stuff, uh, who, who, who's covering this story. So localmaxradio.com slash 150. I will post that. Um, another story, and this, is, this stuff is you, you probably haven't heard of, if you've, even if you've been covered, even if you've been, you know, following Bitcoin on Twitter, and even if you've been listening to, a, to it on uh, CNBC and, and Bloomberg Business and all that, uh, you probably haven't heard about this. So one important or interesting Bitcoin company that I've, or a crypto com company that I've been following, Open Bazaar, they wanted to have kind of a decentralized marketplace. You'd think they would be um, 
you'd think they'd be thriving in this environment, but uh, they've been having some struggles. It's been hard to actually get people onto their service and buy things. And it was a few years ago, it was people said, well, unless people start buying things with, uh, with this digital currency, it'll never be worth anything. And we're continuously proven wrong because it continues to be worth more and more and people are buying less and less of everyday items. So they said recently that they're going to uh, go under unless they are, um, you know, unless they have a new infusion of capital, but an anonymous donor has saved them for now. So maybe Open Bazaar lives to, uh, to fight another day and maybe they were a little bit early, but uh, if they can get people on their platform, then they could start to succeed in the long run. Another lesser known coin, people are like, which coin should I get into? Which, well, I don't know which lesser coins you should get into. I really don't. A Bitcoin is going to be leading the way, but here's an interesting one. It's called Filecoin that has come out recently. And that is a cryptocurrency that is, the purpose of it is to keep uh, you know, documents and um, data basically stored for long periods of time in a decentralized manner. So you don't have to, it's essentially a decentralized Dropbox or Google Drive or something like that. And um, so you don't have to rely on, uh, on real companies to do that. So people are like, well, yes, that is a really interesting use case. Filecoin is now available on Coinbase, which is kind of a big deal. If you're listed on Coinbase, then um, it, you know, it's a lot easier for people to get that coin. Um, you know, so more casual people rather than people who are you know, exchanging on the kind of you know, more professional exchanges. Um, so I'll link to an article here, Filecoin jumps 6% after Coinbase Pro listing. So Coinbase Pro is a little bit more professional than, than, than Coinbase, but still, it's a, it's a big deal. You can, you can buy that. I'm not saying you should buy that one, but it is, um, it's definitely technology where people are like, hey, are these things useful for anything? That is, uh, that's definitely one where it's yes. So general thoughts on 2021. Uh, there might be a few corrections in the Bitcoin price, but overall, 2021 for a cryptocurrency looks very bright. And this time it appears that people are not so much focused on all the altcoins um, and all the kind of, you know, me too. Um, even though there will be some alternative coins that are, that are successful, it looks like this time people realize that Bitcoin itself as the hardest currency, as the most limited currency will be leading the way. And we're going to see huge changes in 2021, and um, I don't think we're going to go through 2021 without having a whole lot of stories on it. I think there's going to be tons of stories on Bitcoin for 2021. All right, so I think we got through a lot this week. Next week, Aaron and I are going to do a look back on 2020 to finish out the year, and then I'm going to do another episode with Miriam Ali. We're going to do a math episode. Some people have been asking for more math episodes, which is surprising, but a, uh, a pleasant surprise. Um, what was it? Emperor Palpatine on, uh, on Star Wars. A, uh, a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. Okay, that's like an evil. But um, no, our math episodes do very well. And we're going to talk about a breakthrough in something called Ramsey Theory. Uh, and, and that breakthrough was made by a teenager recently. So that's uh, very interesting. Don't miss that. And it's a good way to set the tone for a new year to start with something, you know, some start with a cool story like that. Uh, if you don't know what Ramsey theory is, we'll explain it. So we'll get back to that. And uh, yeah, so don't miss out for next week. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local maximum, 
Sign up for exclusive content and their online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.